0: Let us join our voices together and say the call to worship that is printed in the bulletin. God is at work.
1: Light pierces the darkness.
0: Love calms fear. Joy tickles sadness. Hope lifts up despair.
1: Peace disarms
0: anger. Kindness dances around hostility.
1: Music sings away troubles.
0: God is at work. Rejoice. let's pray. Holy God, we come here to your house from so many places in life, both in this week. We come from high places and low places and all sorts of places in between in our own lives, in our own journey. We come as individuals from all places in this country, whether we were born here or moved here from another country. We come from lots of different lineages we come eventually as we as we think about it all of us together from the same lineage from jesus christ into whom we are baptized and so we thank you god that from all the diversity represented in this room and in this world you have called us all together into one family called christian and we pray holy god that you will guide us to act like it to act like we love one another even at times when we don't feel like it, that we would treat one another with justice and peace and mercy and compassion. Holy God, meet us now as your beloved children, members of one family, brothers and sisters, as we enter a time of silent prayer. And from out of the silence, God's people say together, Amen. And let's pray together the prayer of preparation and confession that is printed here in the bulletin holy God we confess that we have not acknowledged you as the source of our successes our substance ourselves we have been far more ready to complain when things go wrong than to praise when all is well we often feed our bodies a rich diet while neglecting to feed our souls Power and wealth have assumed greater importance to us than sensitivity and service. We have allowed religious words and forms to substitute for living encounters with the persons you have called us to love. Forgive us, compassionate Creator, and grant us the opportunity to start over again on this new day. Keep us from repeating the mistakes of the past or for beginning new evils that could mislead or destroy. In the name of Christ, we offer our earnest prayers for pardon and deliverance. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the good news of this day, the season, every day and season of your life, is that in Jesus Christ, God does forgive you. God accepts you and showers mercy upon you and promises to be with you wherever you go and to guide you to become the person you were meant to be. God also calls us to cooperate in that transition to becoming the person we were meant to be. So the good news is the same. All throughout the age of humanity, God loves you. And you are to go out and to show that love in how you live your lives. Amen.
1: Let's stand and greet those that are around us to be on the inside aisle if you'll take the pew pad and sign yourself in pass it on down if you're visiting today a special welcome to you there's a place on the pad where you can give us your contact information there's also uh prayer request cards in the pews there i draw your attention to the announcements children are worshiping with us in the sanctuary during the month of july and then in august they'll begin meeting over in their sunday school classes um there's a, a, a backpack drive that's happening with city team there's a table outside which shows you the types of materials that are needed there's a service opportunity on august 10th for the hope cafe which is a homeless feeding program and also the Pro- project peace the same day and then grateful gatherings on august 24th so there's a smorgasbord of service opportunities we don't expect anyone to do all of them, but if you just choose one, there are lots of different ways that you can do some real good in the world. So we invite you to participate in that way. There's an announcement about online giving and the community prayer boxes, and Don has a special announcement for us too.
0: Thank you. Before we pray, I just want to sort of bring up to our attention what is the most important teaching or commandment or law, in the Holy Bible. Well, it's repeated three times in the New Testament and twice in the Old Testament. It is. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in our current period in history, there are a lot of voices calling us to be suspicious of our neighbors, whoever they are, whether they look different, come from a different place, or believe different things than we do. And so, as Christians, we are called to be clear about where we stand in terms of welcoming and valuing our neighbors, whoever they are. So I was at my friend Steve Wild's church in Livermore yesterday, and what his church has done, First Presbyterian Church in Livermore, they have signs that they have put in front of their church, which we are going to be putting in front of our church as well. The sign reads, no matter where you are from, we are glad you are are our neighbor. It says in Spanish, no importa de donde eres, estamos contentos que seas nuestro vecino. In Arabic, it says the same thing, I'm not going to pronounce it. (laughs) I was asked to do that at the first service and I declined. I think and we think that it's a very important message for the church to stand up for what is right at a time when certain voices are trying to pull us apart based on who we are or where we come from. These signs can be purchased online. Amazon.com has them, and there's also the name of the website that produces these signs that you can go to their website and purchase a sign for yourself if you wish to do so. I'll have one in front of my house, and I think Bill will as well. Let's continue now in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we are blessed, truly blessed to come into your presence today, to offer our thanks and praise. Generation by generation, you have formed this community of faith. You have taught us how to love. You have nurtured us in faith and hope. You've guided us in action, so bless us all as individuals and as a congregation, that we might be a blessing to others. Merciful God, as you have guided your people throughout the ages to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you and with one another, make us, too, among those whom you guide. As you have offered forgiveness and reconciliation to your people throughout the ages, make us among those you have pardoned and help us to pardon others. As well. As you have been exalted and worshiped by our ancestors and brothers and sisters in faith in all languages and all around this world, make us among those who call you Lord, not just with our words, but with our thoughts, our intentions, and our actions. God of wisdom and peace and power and glory, at a time when we are being called by so many to be divided as a people in order to serve political interests. In this moment, we pray not just for those who were born in the United States alone. Neither do we pray solely for immigrants or for those who sojourn in our nation without papers. Nor as Christians do we pray only for our neighbors of European or Asian or African or Latin American descent, but rather We pray for all of us, together, of whatever background, status, political persuasion, or faith tradition, that we might not ignore or neglect the real human needs of all of our neighbors, whoever they are, wherever they come from, and however they got here. In that light, healing God, we lift up all those who need your presence and. In this sanctuary and beyond, we pray for the poor and the distressed, the sick and the grieving. We pray for those who live in dangerous places and for those who would release them from that danger and from torment. And in a moment of silence, God, we lift up to you the concerns that we have for those we care about. We lift them up to you now in silent prayer. We pray also, God, for the prayer concerns, and prayer requests that we have received this past week in our prayer boxes or from the pews and that are contained in this box before me. Holy God, we lift those people and their concerns and their needs up to you as well. Holy God, we also would pray that you would breathe your spirit now upon this nation and upon all nations, break down the walls that divide us, and teach us again to love you with all of our heart and our mind, and our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This we pray in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus the Christ, who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors.
1: The parable I'm about to read is one of my favorite parables. It's called the Parable of the Two Sons. And uh, a few years ago, I was preaching at Imani, our sister church, and I used this uh, text to preach at. And then just last month, I was at Kafida, our sister church in Malawi, and I used this text because you can go, it's it's a text about family conflict. And so you're guaranteed that wherever you go, that topic is going to be relevant because all families experience that. uh, And we're going to see how Jesus deals with it in this particular passage. From Matthew 21. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders, so the people, came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them. I also will ask you a question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or from men? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the multitude, for all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the harlots believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterwards repent and believe him. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. Earl Palmer, in his book on the parables of Jesus, talks about how uh, Jesus deals with parables in different ways. Sometimes he tells a parable and he just lets it sit there. That's most of the time. Sometimes he follows up the parable with a question. Rarely, but occasionally, he explains the parable like in the parable of the sower. In this instance of the one that we just read, he asks a question and then he gets an answer from them and then he responds. He gives a postscript. The question that Jesus asked is this. Which of the two sons did the will of the father? They said the first. And Jesus said, Amen, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. He uses this word three times. But the harlots and tax collectors believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not repent and believe him. Let's look at this parable as a story. That's the first place that you start when you're studying a parable. There are some rules of literary interpretation. C.S. Lewis was a professor of literature at Oxford and then at Cambridge. And uh, he wrote a very famous essay examining the seven major interpretations of Shakespeare's Hamlet. You know, there's a Freudian interpretation of Hamlet. There's a Marxist interpretation of Hamlet. There's an existentialist interpretation. And he came to the conclusion that they were all wrong... Because instead of starting with the story, they started with their philosophical presumptions and then read those presumptions into the story, which meant that their interpretation was wrong. So you have to start with the basic story to understand the motivations of the Prince of Denmark in Hamlet. So, Royal Palmer encourages us to look at the variables and the constants when you're studying a parable just like a science experiment, parables have variables and constants. Now in this parable, the constants are the father, he's the same, the vineyard, same, and the question, will you go work in the vineyard? So the variables are the two sons. That's the difference. And each of these sons is portrayed as having a fault having a fault. The first son's fault is that he too quickly opposes the will of his father. His fault is defiance. Notice this is a very short parable, but it is electrifying in its emotional impact. Our minds can just naturally add a whole bunch of unspoken dialogue that Jesus leaves out of the story. But we can imagine that this conversation between the father and the son was a little longer uh, than it seems, huh? Will you go work in the vineyard? No, I'm sick and tired of the vineyard. I've been working in that vineyard all week and I wanna have some time to be with my friends, do some of the things that I'd like to do for a change. So he stomps off. Yep. Anyone who's ever had a power struggle between a father and a son can understand what's going on here. This is a parable about life. The father says, will you work in the vineyard? The son says, no. But then what happens? He repents. He goes to work in the vineyard. He ends up in the vineyard and he works there. And that's the first half of the story. I would describe this boy as a Big problem at breakfast, but a joy at dinner. He's a great joy at the dinner table. At the breakfast, this kind of kid really can upset everything. They come to the breakfast table with a scowl already on their face. The word no is on their lips before any question is even asked. This kind of kid can give you ulcers. I'm tired of your projects, Dad. Haven't you heard the slaves were freed? So, But at the dinner table, he's a great joy. Then there's the second son. He's a little more complicated. He says in the morning exactly what the father wants to hear. Notice our our Lord sort of pours it on a little bit in this story. This son, when he's asked the question, he doesn't just say yes. He goes, yes, sir, I go. We love polite kids, don't we? ma'am and sir kids. We love that kind of politeness. He says, yes, sir, I go. So in the morning, uh, the boy says he's going to go, but he doesn't end up in the vineyard. I would describe him as a joy at breakfast, but a problem at dinner. And this parable is more of a dinner parable than a breakfast parable. So it becomes a big problem at dinner that you would have never guessed was going to happen at breakfast. So after the first son says, no, I'm not working in the vineyard, the father, and he stomps off, the father gathers himself up and asks the same question to the second son. Will you go and work in the vineyard today? And the second son says, father, I'm awfully glad, glad you suggested that. I was just thinking this morning during my prayer time, you know, I, I would love to go work in the vineyard I love vineyards. I love seeing our family name on those bottles of Zinfandel. And I know, I know how much we, you need the money to help pay for college tuition for my brother and I. And I do feel an obligation to help our family in any way that I can. And so, Mom, put another pork chop in the marinade. I'm going to be awfully hungry tonight when I come in from working in that vineyard all day. And he goes off singing Zippity-Doo-Dah. You ever meet people like that? They really can cheer up your morning. There's only one problem. He never makes it to the vineyard. He never goes to the vineyard. This son's problem is evasiveness. He's slippery. Psychologists might say he's passive aggressive. He does one thing, he says one thing, and does another. Which of the two sons did the will of the father? You have to wait until dark to know, to find out. One technical observation that Earl Palmer also makes is that the symbol for Greek drama is two masks hanging from a string. And one of the masks is smiling, and that represents comedy. The other mask is frowning, and that represents tragedy. And the greatest comics are those that can mix the tragic and the comic together. When you get a a comic like Charlie Chaplin, there's always a little bit of the tragic in there with the comic. Same with the Woody Allen films. Mixes them together. And many of Jesus' parables have both these threads, too. The comic thread in this parable is the first son. He says he's not going to go. We don't expect him to go, but boom, lo and behold, he ends up in the vineyard working. It's a surprise. It's a comic thing. We laugh in the afternoon because he made it to the vineyard. One definition of comedy is the sudden perception of incongruity. That's comedy. We didn't expect this kid to go, but he did. He made it there. And then there's the tragic thread. It's also present in this parable. It has to do with the second son. There are several elements of this tragic thread in him. The first thing is, he never meets his father. He never meets the father. The one thing you can see about a family argument is you do meet each other in the argument. Sometimes when I hear a family say, Oh, we never argue in our family, I think that's too bad. Because that probably means you never really engage each other. That you never really meet each other. When I was a youth minister, I would hear kids complain about their strict parents. And the parents who had all these rules that they had to go by. But they're really sad kids. Where the kids were, would say that, that it was hard to engage their parent. It was hard to get them to be firm enough so they could have something to push against. Every teenager needs someone strong and firm to push against, to test your boundaries. And the kids that don't get that suffer greatly. So the second son doesn't meet his father. Will you go work in the vineyard? Yes, Dad, I'd love to go. I'll go. But he doesn't go. He just avoids the father. It's a tragic thing. He doesn't meet his father like the first one did. The first one met him in the argument. The second one never meets his father. Second tragic thread is that he doesn't repent. Repentance is one of the most exhilarating experiences of life. He didn't have the experience of repentance. He had to live with his own sneakiness and deception. And the third tragic thread is he never ends up in the vineyard. And in the Bible, the vineyard is a symbol for the kingdom of God. Working in the vineyard is a symbol that you're working in God's kingdom. You're participating in the work of God in the world. Every person in Israel would have known this. And he never gets to work in the the vineyard. He doesn't get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And that is tragic. A couple of observations about God from this. First of all, I think we can infer from this parable that Jesus expects initial resistance to his claims on our lives. He makes it clear that he expects when presented with the possibility of making him Lord of our lives, the initial answer will be no. He's not surprised by this. But happily the boy changes his mind and goes to work in the vineyard. This is comforting to know that Our Lord understands that the claims that he makes on our lives are difficult and they're not easy to initially say yes to. Jesus also expects many people to pay lip service to his kingdom and never deliver their hearts in service to him. He not only expects the defiant ones, he expects the evasive and slippery ones too. The ones who say all the right things, Oh, I believe in you, Jesus. I love God. I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. You know, uh, all the right things. But they never have any intention of going to work in the vineyard. It's a great problem in churches. Around the country, we have hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people on church rolls People who say all the right things, talk about themselves as being Christian. I love the church. I love what it means. But they have never once lifted a finger to work in the Father's vineyard. So this parable shows that Jesus understands human nature and how we operate. The main teaching is made clear in the question that Jesus asks. Parables are constructed to make only one point not like allegories, which make many points. The parable makes one point, and it's revealed in the question, which one did the will of the Father? This is a parable about the will of God. And what is the will of God? It's that we believe in him. And our Lord makes it clear by his follow-up postscript when three times he uses the word believe. He says, when, when John the Baptist came in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him. The harlots and the tax collectors believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not repent and believe him. It's a parable about belief, about faith. Faith is shown to be a whole stormy event of word and work woven tightly together. Faith, according to this parable, is not just believing certain intellectual things. It's doing certain things with your life. Faith is about what you do not just what you believe. And Jesus showed us what that means, what that looks like. Because he didn't just talk to us. He didn't just teach us about God. He came and gave his life. He gave his life as a sacrifice for us. So he lived out physically in his life the things that he taught to us. And he asked us to, to have the same kind of integrity. To be people who live out what it is that we say that we do, where our work and our words work together. And then another observation, second thoughts are better than first thoughts. At first glance, the first son, his uh, response to the question is, absolutely not, I'm not going. But then he had a second thought. Somehow the more he thought about his father's request, the more it made sense to him. And somehow he changed his mind. And he went and he worked in the vineyard. A lot of times our initial thought will be no. God, no, we can't do this. I can't do that. That's too great of a sacrifice for you to ask me, to sacrifice my money or my time or whatever. But then the more we think about it, the more it makes sense. It does make sense to do what God is asking us to do And then finally, it's better to to finally believe what at first you could not say than to say at first what you do not believe. He'd rather have us say, nope, not going to the vineyard, and then end up going, than saying, yes, I'll be glad to go, and never showing up. That's what God would want. There's a tremendous integrity in the parable. It's the integrity of Jesus. And the last thing I think that's wonderful about this is that it shows that we have a God of the second chance. Do you know, it's never too late to change your mind. God says, you can reject me over and over and over again. You can reject me your whole life. And if the last hour of your life, you change your mind, and you say that you would like to be with me and to serve me and to, and to relate to me, it's never too late to change your mind. And to follow God. That's the grace that God offers to all of us. Last month, when I was at Cafita, I noticed a big sign that they have up by the widow's workshop in the corner of the property. The sign says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. It's a quote from the Bible Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. There, you couldn't think of a better way to sum up what this parable says to us. Amen.
2: i Spe-
0: Let's give thanks now to God by joining our voices together in saying the prayer of thanksgiving that's printed in the bulletin. Holy and gracious God, with thankful and glad hearts, we offer our tithes and offerings to you. Thank you for the privilege of participating in your kingdom, of spreading the good news, of taking care of the least of these. Use these gifts and us for your purposes and will in our world. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.
1: Brothers and sisters, as you go forth from this place, remember that you leave as representatives and ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.